You're listening to a Rua podcast created by St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm your host, Chantal Moyer. For this year's Lenten season, we decided to go back to a book we published in 2009 and offer it as an eight-episode podcast series to be released over the course of the season. The 2009 book, titled A Book for Lent, Toward What We Can Scarcely Imagine and Scarcely Refuse, was written by James Snyder, an American Lutheran pastor and a friend to St. Benedict's Table, with illustrations by Helen Lyons. The first version of these eight meditations was written in 2000 for use at St. George's Anglican Church in Halifax, Nova Scotia. With the exception of the first meditation, which was a sermon for Ash Wednesday entitled Atla, the reflections were all delivered on Good Friday 2000, based on the seven words, or the seven sayings from the cross. Jim provides material of substantial depth, delivered with a bit of grit and with a storyteller's eye to detail, all offered up in the service of the proclamation of grace. In spite of the fact that these addresses were originally delivered on the two most solemn days of the Christian year, they are not without their touches of humor. As you listen, it will become more than a little clear that Jim Snyder is rather thoroughly committed to a perspective that says that in Christ, the grace of God has overcome all else. For this series... Jamie Howison will be reading the text of these meditations. The fifth word, I thirst. Daddy, I'm thirsty. The voice wafts down the hall in the dead of night, drawing you out of the depths of sleep toward a state of semi-consciousness. At first you don't quite recognize it, then you hear it again. I'm thirsty, Daddy. Knowing your child as you do, you know what that nocturnal cry means. You know what she thirsts for. She thirsts for you. She thirsts for the assurance of your presence. She wants to know that she's not alone. She has fears, and she needs you to assuage them. She wants to know that she's free from harm this night, so that she may ease safely back into the netherworld of sleep. When you know the child, you know how to decipher this elemental request. And you know how to respond, as I did with my own children. But in an adolescent crisis facility, the process of deciphering is a bit more complex. When I worked in such a place, my hours would invariably take me into the late evening. I preferred that because that's when life gets interesting. The bedtime rituals of youth in care can tell you more about where they're at than a 40-page assessment. Jim, I'm thirsty. Jim, Jim, I'm thirsty, Jim. What does it mean when a 14-year-old boy or girl says this? How do you decipher it? Are they just trying to wring out one last moment of manipulation before the day ends? Are they lazy? Don't they have two legs? Don't they know there's a sink in the bathroom? Or could they be afraid? Afraid of what? The 14-year-olds I worked with feared nothing. That's why they were in care. They weren't afraid of teachers or principals. 
They weren't afraid of the police. They weren't afraid to fight somebody twice their size. They weren't afraid to play in traffic or hang from the bridge or risk their life in any one of a hundred other ways. They weren't afraid of strangers. They weren't afraid of living on the street. They weren't afraid of hitchhiking to Vancouver. But when 10.30 rolls around, you could literally see the anxiety level rise. For most of us, sleep is something we welcome, something we enjoy. But for some of these kids, fearless as they are, sleep is the one thing that they dread. Why? Because that's when things would happen in their houses. That's when things might happen to them, things we might scarcely be able to imagine. And even though they are now safe from those things, they're never safe from the nocturnal drama that torments them the moment they drift off. For us, sleep can be blissful, but for youth in care, sleep can be the most stressful of all their daily events. I know, I know he's thirsty. He's thirsty for something he's never had. He's thirsty for something he's never known. He's thirsty for something he can't even begin to articulate or imagine. One day he walked into my office in a state of passionate lucidity and declared, Look, you want to know why I'm so screwed up? Check this out. I've lived in 35 different places and I'm only 14 years old. 35. Here they are. Count them. And he gave me a thick scrapbook full of snapshots going back to his early childhood. These are all the people I lived with. These are all the people who didn't want me. Nobody wants me. Nobody. Where am I going to go from here? No place. There's no place. I don't deserve this. I did nothing to deserve this. Can you see why I'm such a god-awful mess? There was nothing I could say. Where indeed would he go? That was our question, too. Our facility and program was supposed to be short-term. Thirty days is the optimal stay. After that, it becomes counterproductive, partly because bonds develop, attachment and affection inevitably sprouts forth, and then it has to be cut when the youth moves on. And this boy had already seen far too much of that during his brief life. But now his 30 days had expanded to eight months, probably longer than he'd stayed anywhere in his life, very simply, as he well knew, because nobody else wanted him. We were the only place in the known universe that could provide him with a roof and a bed and a glass of water. And when at last the agency found another residence for him, we tried, we knew it would be difficult, but we tried so carefully to effect a positive and healthy transition for this youth. But instead, what happened was utterly the worst thing that could have happened to this boy. On his last night with us, he was beaten up by four girls, girls he'd befriended, whom he thought were his friends, with no provocation, beat up for no reason, no reason at all. And that's how he moved on. That's how he made the transition. And that would be his last memory of us. We could not prevent it. 
Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Daddy, I'm thirsty. Jim, I'm thirsty. Jim? Well, I'm thirsty too, aren't you? Sometimes I'm so thirsty I cannot bear it. What do we thirst for? Someone tell me what that is. Are there words for it? For that elemental longing? For that endless yearning for something that can never be filled? Is it safety? Security? Is it relief from torment? Is it for sleep without nightmares? Is it for the presence of someone who is always absent? Is it for that sacred other without whom we are not complete? Is it for life or for death? And at what point does the distraction between the two dissolve? Or do we merely thirst for a reason to get up in the morning, a reason to go on, and hope that one day we'll find it? But now suppose you're hanging upon a cross as the culmination of your life's work. This is your reward, your destination, the goal of your earthly journey. There's never been any place where you haven't been a stranger, a visitor, an alien. You've never had anywhere to lay your head until this very spot, this very moment, at the end of this road, at the place of the skull. What would you thirst for here? How should we decipher that request? I thirst. My 14-year-old friend would have known he knew all too well. As a heart longs for the flowing streams, so longs my soul for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me continually, Where is your God? That's the question at the place of the skull. Where? Where is your God now? Where? I thirst. That was Jamie Howison reading a Lenten reflection written by Jim Snyder. Please consult the show notes for a link to a web post on which each episode in this series will be posted as it becomes available. On that post, you will also be able to view some of Helen Lyon's artwork from the print edition of the book. The music for this series is by Steve Bell and is used with Steve's blessing and by the good graces of Signpost Music. If you would like to know more about our work or provide some support for our online ministry, please visit us at stbenedictstable.ca. I'm your host, Chantal Moyer. Thanks for listening. Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Were you there when they laid him in?